came back to Egypt. There was a famine in the land, and the famine forced the brothers to come to Egypt to get food. That's the only place they could. And so as they came there, they did not recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. Joseph wanted to test them. The Bible makes it clear. He wanted to test them to see whether their hearts had changed, had anything been different here in the 20 years that had surpassed. Now, it comes across as Joseph being rude, but when you look in the Bible, he wasn't. He's setting them up to fail. He's really going to test them to say, how are they and are they different? Now, I really want you to think about this tonight. As we go through Genesis 43 and 44, Joseph really is a picture of Jesus and a lot of things we go through. And we mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking about Joseph's foreign wife, that she's the daughter of this false priest, etc. And how does that line up with this uh, good Jew marrying this gal? And we talked last week that really it's a picture of Jesus marrying the Gentile bride. It's really a picture of Christ coming and marrying us. We were serving a foreign God. We were serving something different. We were of a false God. And we became the bride of Christ. That's what salvation does. We come out of this darkness and come into a relationship with Jesus. And this picture of Joseph being a picture of Jesus continues on here. Now, we've got a little bit of background that we need to get through. What you're going to basically have here in chapter 43 is verse 1. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You should not see my face unless your brother is with you. Remember the deal. If they want to come back, they got to bring Benjamin with them. Benjamin is the youngest brother. They didn't bring him the first time. Jacob said, I can't let you take Benjamin. If something would happen to Benjamin, I'd go right to my grave. So they kept Benjamin back, and so Joseph wants to see Benjamin. So if you remember, Simeon stayed, kind of as a little bit of a down payment, if you will. So therefore, they'll have to come back, and they'll have to bring Benjamin. Please do note, obviously Simeon is not that well-liked. No one's ever saying, hey, we got to go back to Egypt to get our brother. They only go back when they have to because of food. So here's the conversation going on. Judah is basically saying, remember, if we go back, we have to take Benjamin with us. Well, Jacob gets upset at this. Verse 6, Israel, Jacob said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? They said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? They couldn't have known this. They thought they were just making small talk with this guy, and now it's being used against him. Now note what happens, verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. What you're starting to see now are these brothers step up to the plate. Reuben said, let Benjamin go with me, and if he doesn't come back, my two sons can be killed. Judah is now saying, let me take him. I will keep him safe. You're starting to see a little bit of a changed heart. Now, that's a good thing. Verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If this must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. And take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight, if you remember correctly, last week. They bought all this grain, and as they were coming back, they found out that the money they'd used to buy the grain was put back in their sack. It was Joseph blessing them, but at the same time, it made them guilty. Why? Because when you're carrying guilt and shame over unconfessed sin, 
everything makes you a little nervous. So they thought this was a curse. Verse 13, take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now a couple quick points here as we get ready to move on to the next thing. We see that emotion once again of Jacob. Jacob is an emotional guy. Emotions are not bad. But if you let your emotions control you, that's when it becomes an issue. Jacob is letting the emotion of the situation get the best of him. There's not a faith in God. There's not a faith in the Lord. There's nothing along that type of line. He's basically giving his son up for dead. Verse 14, if I'm bereaved to death, I'm bereaved to death. Emotional people are very difficult to work with, live with, be around. You just want to tell them, relax, trust the Lord. The interesting thing about an emotional person is most of the time emotional people don't even realize they're emotional people. They don't even see it. But yet Jacob here is allowing his emotions to get the best of him. Okay, so this really just sets us up to get back to Egypt now. So the guys are coming back. They're bringing back their money, plus extra money. They're bringing back Benjamin. So now we get to see how this all comes together. Verse 15. So the men took the present and Benjamin and took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt. And they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, He said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Look at this guilt. Look at this shame. You know, when you're carrying, I'm going to repeat this point, when you're carrying unconfessed sin, you're miserable. We've said out here many times before, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows what they're supposed to be doing, and they're not doing it. They can't have peace in the world because they know God's not happy with that, and they can't have peace in Christ because there's this unconfessed sin going on. These guys are carrying this burden of two decades of guilt of which they did, so everything that happens, verse 18, they think God is against them. I've run into people like that. They always feel God's against them. They don't understand the picture of God. And Joseph here is a great picture of Jesus. And keep this in the back of your mind as we go through this, how Joseph is a picture of Jesus. So verse 18, they think Joseph's out to get them. He's going to make us slaves. Note in verse 18, not only going to make them slaves, they're going to make our donkeys slaves too. If you're going to be worried about something, worry about your donkey. Verse 19. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. We have brought it back in our hand and we brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We did not know who put our money in our sacks. Look at them. I teach you to see them rambling on. You know, we saw this money. We didn't mean to do it. We don't know what happened. We're trying to make this right. Look at verse 23. He said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. See, this is what happens. You go to Jesus and you expect the worst. You've been in sin. You've done something you shouldn't have. You're begging and pleading for forgiveness. You want to make this right. And really, this whole situation with Joseph is a picture of just Christ. 
I mean, I look at verses 19, 20, 21, and 22, and I've been in that position. I'm on my knees before the Lord, and Lord, I'm sorry for doing this. How could you ever forgive me? I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good pastor. And verse 23, there's this picture of Jesus where he just says, Peace be with you, and do not be afraid. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And what were they worried about? Verse 18, they're going to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Guess what happens to the donkeys in verse 24? The donkeys get fed. You don't even have to worry about your donkey. Jesus takes care of everything. I got this little phrase I use with the boys. It always works out. God will always work it out. He always will. And I see this going on. These guys are walking in fear. Jacob's walking in emotion. Verse 23, if this is the only point you get out of tonight, that's great. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. What a beautiful picture. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then they brought Simeon out. I think this is also important, too, in verse 23. As this steward is talking to them, this steward obviously is talking about the God of the Hebrews. Joseph, being in Egypt, has not been tainted by Egypt. His faith is still strong. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, his kids had Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. We see here in verse 23, this steward, this servant, is talking about their God. You know, I don't want to take it too far, but boy, was Joseph kind of sharing with him a little bit? This is kind of a neat picture. These guys are afraid. These guys are worried. Don't be afraid. Your donkeys are taken care of. Look at verse 24. Do you not see the symbolism of Jesus? The man brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, washed their feet. Look at all this symbolism here. These guys are expecting the worst. They're expecting judgment. They deserve judgment. And what do they get instead? They get grace. They get mercy. It's a picture of Christ. Beautiful picture there. Let's go one step further with this. Verse 25. Then they made the present ready for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that he would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand in the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Look at this. This is how we act to Jesus. Verse 25. They're trying to buy stuff. They bring the present They're trying to buy that goodness, that graciousness. Man, Joseph just takes care of them. He doesn't need the present. He doesn't need any of that. Do you remember when you first got saved that you thought there was all these things you had to do to make God like you more? I remember the epiphany moment I had years ago. I was reading this commentary, and this guy just made this really simple point. And the simple point was this. God cannot love you more now than what he's already loved you. And I thought about that. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more than what he loves me right now. See, I spent so much time, so much time in my walk with Christ trying to earn God's favor by, Lord, look how much I read. Look how much I pray. Look how much I witness. And none of that made God love me more. None of that. Now, he may have been happy with my service more. He may have been more blessed with me as a servant. But there was nothing I could do to make God love me more than what he already did at that moment. And I look right now here with Joseph. These guys are bringing presents. They're bowing. They're doing everything they can. <sighs> Joseph already loves them. Isn't that an amazing thing? No matter what you have done in your past, what stupid, sinful, shameful thing you have done, Christ wants to look at you, verse 23, and say, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. You're bringing gifts, verse 25. You're trying to buy them off. Nah. He just wants you. 
What a beautiful picture this is of grace and mercy. Okay, let's stop real quick at verse 28. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here before we go on? Ryan. Uh, it just makes me wonder how long Simeon was waiting in jail. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't say what Simeon thought, but, you know, I don't want to add to the Bible, but in verse 23... I would probably say then he brought Simeon out to them and Simeon gave him a dirty look. That's what I think probably happened. Uh, no one really seemed to be too concerned about Simeon. I mean, if I was in Simeon's spot, I'd be like, guys, you're like going to just drop the food off and come like right back, aren't you? No, they dropped the food off, ate all the food, got hungry again and said, I guess we better go back. So, yeah, Simeon kind of got left out there in the cold for a little bit. Anybody else got anything before we go on? Yeah, Matt. Prostrate means they basically just put themselves flat out on the ground to, the, to, to Joseph, just laid flat, which once again is a fulfillment of all those dreams that Joseph had. So all this stuff is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. They just don't even know it yet. Anybody else got anything? Well, let's see what Joseph does. Verse 29, then he lifted his eyes, saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. If you're wondering what the big deal is about Benjamin, don't forget verse 29. Benjamin is Joseph's only full brother. Only full brother. Every other brother is a half-brother. This is his only full brother. So there's a closeness there, verse 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother... So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went to his chamber and wept there. The weeping, once again, a picture of Jesus. What did Jesus do over Jerusalem before he went to the cross? The Bible says he wept over Jerusalem. Even though these guys wanted to kill Christ, his heart still hurt for them. These brothers were awful to Joseph, and his heart still hurt for them. He still weeps for them. Verse 31, then he washed his face, came and restrained himself, and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself... And them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Verse 32 is a very important verse. It shows once again still that Joseph is keeping himself separate from the world. You have three different people eating here. You have the brothers eating over here. You have Joseph eating by himself. And then you have the Egyptians eating by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat with Joseph. Now, I just find that fascinating. Joseph is second in charge of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the nation, and argumentably at this time, maybe the second most powerful man in the world, and he still can't eat with the Egyptians because it's an abomination. Now, this is actually a good teaching point to us, verse 32. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. I don't mean this, take this literally. Don't go into your break room tomorrow at work, work and make a big statement of I cannot eat with you because you're an abomination. No, don't. I'm not saying that. But there's supposed to be a separation between us and the world. And you've heard me say this so often, you can go home and mock me. I'm okay with that. As believers, we are different than the world. We should not act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, live like the world. We shouldn't. There's a separation. That's what that word sanctified means. We're sanctified. We're set apart from the world. So when I see believers acting, dressing, talking, living like the world, well, what have you been set apart from? And it's not that we purposely go out there in verse 32 and say, get away from me, heathen. But there should be such a separation that there is a difference in how we live, act, and work. There should be. And you see in verse 32, this separation. Verse 33, And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Now you've got to think about this. Eleven brothers set in order from oldest to youngest. Eleven brothers set in order from young, oldest to youngest. We have five boys, five brothers. 
You know, we run into people out in town, and they're always like, well, who's the oldest? Sometimes you just can't tell. So it's kind of impressive, verse 33, and the men looked in astonishment at one another, that this guy who supposedly doesn't know him just set all 11 boys in order. Oldest, youngest, verse 34, and he took servings to them and from before them. But Benjamin's serving us five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with them. Now, what's the deal with the five times as much to Benjamin? Was Joseph playing favorites? I don't think he was playing favorites. Maybe there was a little bit of that. But verse 34, I think this is part of that test. How are the brothers going to react? So you're sitting there, you're eating, and all of a sudden your youngest brother, who's never met this guy before, he gets all the extra dessert. He gets all the extra food. What are you going to do? One of the verses we use at home all the time is the classic verse of rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, what is easier? What's easier? Is it easier to rejoice with those who rejoice or is it easier to weep with those who weep? My personal opinion, it's easier to weep with those who weep. Because when you weep, you feel bad for them. If I'm having a great day and you call me up and your day completely fell apart, it's easier for me to let go of my good day for that moment and say, you know what, I will weep with those who weep. If any of the boys ever get hurt at home, that's what we teach them. Weep with those who weep. Stop what you're doing. Go to your brother. Pray for them. Do what you can to help. Now, let's flip it around. Let's say you're having a really bad day and something really good happens. I'm supposed to put aside my bad day and now rejoice with those who rejoice. I think that's harder to do. Because when you're weeping, come on, there's this strange feeling of being happy about having a pity party sometimes, isn't there? Sometimes we live off that, oh, woe is me, no one has it as bad as me. So when somebody comes in with good news, well, I'm glad you have good news, at least somebody is having good news. Oh, come on. Stop your little pity party and rejoice with those who rejoice. Verse 34 is a pretty big test. You have to remember from Joseph's perspective, his brothers are jerks. They couldn't stand the favoritism that Jacob had for Joseph. They couldn't. So the only way Joseph can tell that their their brothers have changed is are they feeling the same way about Benjamin? If Benjamin gets the extra food and everybody looks at Benjamin and makes comments about Benjamin, is upset at Benjamin, Joseph's going to know, guess what? They haven't changed. This is part of that test. So it's all building up to something even bigger. Verse 1 of 44, he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of a sack. Let's do the same thing again. But now put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph has spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. Now when they had gone out of the city and were not far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and the one that Jesus indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So we overtook them and spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which was found in the mouth of our sack. How could then we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servant is found, let him die, and we will also be my Lord's slaves. Verse 9. That's a powerful verse. Whoever has the cup... He gets killed. The rest of us are slaves. Verse 10, he said, Now also let it be according to your words. You said it. You made the deal. Let's do this. And with he whom is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily 
let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground, and Joseph said to him, What deed is that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom this cup was found. He said, Far be it for me that I should do so. And the man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as far as you, go up in peace to your father. Right here is the big test. If all the brothers say, Hey, tough luck, Benjamin. He knows their heart hasn't changed. Now, verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Now, there's some debate on that. Is that the brothers realizing this is 20 years of guilt and shame coming out? Is that what they're upset about? You know, there's all this guilt and shame. Verse 17, they can leave. They can leave. They are free to go. And what you really have here now is from verse 18 to verse 34 is this long, passionate speech. From Judah. We've already seen Reuben willing to sacrifice his kids for the safety of Benjamin. We've seen Simeon, we think Simeon was willfully giving himself up to stay in Egypt. Maybe Simeon was told to stay, we don't know. And now we see Judah passionate about. Look at this. And, and we're not going to read all of this, but you'll get the point here. Verse 18, Judah came near him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are like, even like Pharaoh. Verse 19, my Lord asked his servant saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to the Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for he should not leave his father. His father would die. You're going to kill my dad if you take Benjamin. So jump ahead here a little bit. Verse 29, but if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls me, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in his lad's life, it will happen. Our dad will die. When he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For the servant, excuse me, for your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father. Now, here you go. Here's the heart, verse 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Right there, Joseph realizes hearts have changed. Verse 1 of 45, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. That's one of those that you'd like to be there for that moment. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near him and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now... 
Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in this earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds that you will have. And there I will provide for you unless you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. Now we're just going to stop right there. Let's go back to our picture of Jesus. Verse 5, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Jesus was sent to die, to preserve life. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Basically, I'm here to save you. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What a picture of Christ. Christ said, I'm here to save. I'm here to suffer for you. We've already looked at all these pictures of Jesus. Peace, do not be afraid. He wants to bless you. He basically comes out and says, don't have to buy me off with gifts. He's going to forgive. He says, look at what the Lord has done. Now, that's obviously a great picture of Jesus. Let's look at the practicality here. I've seen people carry such bitterness in their hearts for years, possibly even decades. And if you just mention somebody's name, they just have this evil come out of them in spite and anger. 20 years, Joseph went through this. Sold as a slave, accused of rape, thrown in prison. We know he's in prison for at least two years. We don't know how long. And look what he says. Look what he says. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself, verse 5, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph says, God allowed this to happen for a reason. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I'm telling you right now, I would not have been able to say that. It was not you who sent me here, but God. No, they sold him as a slave. They gave him up for dead. They lied. They did everything. And Joseph says, nope, guys. Nope. The big picture is the Lord. The Lord took care of this. Jump ahead, please, to Genesis 50. We've mentioned this before. The two bookends of Joseph's life, Psalm 105. God allowed hardships in Joseph's life to prepare his heart for what he had something bigger in store. And we've talked about this for weeks. God allows hardships into your life not to curse you, not to hurt you, not to break you, but to teach you how to be stronger in difficult times. So that was the first point. Now we're to the second point. This is our second book in Genesis 50. What happens is Jacob dies, and the brothers think, okay, Joseph's finally going to get back to us. Verse 18. Then his brothers also went in and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to him, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about us as it is this day to save many people. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You're not going to find a better human 
picture of grace and mercy and forgiveness than Joseph. And I know this is such a simple point, and I hate to belittle it by making it quick, but we're out of time. I don't know what else to tell you. If there's somebody in your life that you are just holding such anger and frustration and bitterness and unforgiveness for, my goodness, you can learn from Joseph. Let it go. Forgive. And before you say, you don't know what they did to me, I'm pretty sure they didn't sell you as a slave to Egypt. Pretty sure you weren't thrown in prison. And I'm pretty sure you're not second in charge of Egypt right now and you're offering forgiveness to them. we got to be careful. We have a tendency in our mind, in our heart, to justify sin. I'm allowed to be angry about this. I'm allowed to hold bitterness at this. I'm allowed to harbor unforgiveness because of what they did. Joseph is a picture of two things. First off, Jesus offering grace and peace and mercy to people who did not deserve it and they couldn't do anything to gain it. And number two, Joseph is a picture of a human saying, I can forgive you. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I know we covered a lot tonight, but to try to break that up just doesn't do any good. We've got to get the full picture of what's going on. So we'll pick it up here next week, and we'll continue to see what happens when Jacob comes back. And we're getting real close, real close to being done here with the book of Genesis. And one of my favorite chapters is coming up, Genesis 49, this wonderful chapter of prophecy. And that's going to be a fun one. Anybody have any final questions, comments here? Ryan. Right. Possible, and also you have to remember that it's quite possible some of these kids are overlapping in ages very similar. They're born to four different women, and so therefore it's not like one is born, okay, you know, then you know, whatever, a year and a half later, another one is born. We don't know the exact age differences between them, they could have been months apart. And once again, these guys are grown men, you know, very argumentably in their 40s, 50s, etc. Yeah, there's no way somebody would have been able to look at 11 people. You probably could have picked out Benjamin and said he's the youngest. But other than that, I don't, it's impossible. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah, Samuel. He didn't tell me it was Joseph in the first place because the Bible said that Joseph wanted to test them to see if their hearts had changed. If he would have come right from the beginning and said, hey, I'm Joseph, I'm here, he wouldn't have known whether their hearts had changed. His last run-in with his brothers, his brothers were mean, his brothers were... Every evil thing you can imagine. So Joseph went through this long process to say, have they changed? Have their hearts changed? Because they were willing to get rid of me without a second thought. He wanted Benjamin to come there to test them to say, would they do the same thing to Benjamin? Or would they stop and realize we can't be these type of men anymore? So this was just a long test to see if their hearts had changed to become the men that God wanted them to be. Good question. Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You never know. And that's the thing is we have such a tendency to whatever happens in our life at this moment to give it so much weight. You know, if we have a bad evening tonight, then everything's awful. If we have a bad day at work tomorrow, it's time for me to look for a new job. If we have a fight with the spouse, why did I ever marry you? And we have such a tendency to allow such small moments to dictate our future. When really, when you look at Joseph, Joseph was able to put past decades of pain and hurt and say, okay, I see the big picture. And I think a lot of times as believers, we're so narrow-minded into what's going on at this moment, we allow that hurt and pain to direct us. When really God says, step back, see the big picture. And trust me that I'm working even when you don't see it. Anybody else got anything before I close up? All right, let's pray. We'll let you go then. Heavenly Father, help us to learn from Joseph. Help us to be Christ like in all that we do.